ask myself the question, what would the opposite of a degenerate scumbag life look like? <laughs> and I thought, well, what if I spent one year uh, as a payback, uh, almost as a tithe for the 10 years that I'd wasted? And I went and tried to serve others and see where that would take me. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I have been waiting to do this episode for quite some time. I'm going to sit down with Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water, and he's also the author of the book Thirst. Now, here's why I have been waiting to do this episode for quite some time is I read the book Thirst on Scott and his journey and why he founded Charity Water, and I couldn't put it down. It was so good. I mean, his story from his wild upbringing to his wild days as a young man to, you know, what led him to starting one of the biggest, best, most popular charities on the planet will absolutely inspire you. He absolutely lives out the entire motto of this podcast. When good people make good money, they do great things. I want to help you make great money and do great things as well. Except not everybody's been given the same fair chance when it comes to their finances as the person next to them. Not everyone's been born on third base with the information and the habits to master their finances like those who you see thriving. And it's not right, and it's also not right that this information up until now has been so expensive that those that need it the most can't even invest in it. You know, I recently did an Instagram poll and I said, what keeps you up at night? about your finances and what is your daily struggle with finances. And what blew my mind was all the answers were almost the same. There were only a few key things that you all shared in common. Number one, you were all so scared of losing your significant other over finances. You were all so afraid that you are never going to crack the code and figure out how to get ahead. You were all working so dang hard doing the things you were taught, but not making any progress and usually going backwards and you're just tired and fed up with it. And the other biggest fear was taxes. This one did surprise me. So many of you entrepreneurs are scared that you're not paying the right amount of taxes or you found out you weren't paying the right amount of taxes or you have fear as to how does cash flow even work when you're an entrepreneur. Financial fears run deep. I know because I was there nine to 10 years ago. And so I decided to build what I wish existed when I was ready to make my comeback, when I was ready to change my relationship with money. Until now, it's been scattered everywhere but I decided to take all the fundamentals that have given Lori and I the financial life that we have and all the fundamentals that happen to be the common threads from the over 200 interviews I've done with millionaires, billionaires, and financial experts on this show and put them all together into one easy self-study five-module course that teaches you first why money matters, why it matters to your health, to your mental health, why it matters to your family, why it matters as a moral obligation, and then teaches you how money works all the lessons that you should have learned in school that you did not learn about the economy and how to make money work in your favor and how it is way more simple than you think it is and we're complicating it. And then the next module that's money-minded, how to think like a wealthy person, how to change your default settings. And then the money moves 
telling you exactly what order you are supposed to do things in and what moves you make to lead a wealthy life. And then last but not least, money magnification. Because once we stop the bleeding and start creating a little bit of excess, then we get to teach you the advanced stuff, which is money magnification. And that is exactly what this course is aimed to do. It's aimed to stop the bleeding. You've got to be so tired of bleeding by now. Stops the bleeding. It then creates a little bit of excess, puts together a winning streak, and then you get to magnify it. That's my wish for all of you. So listen, if you struggle with your relationship with finances, if it's causing stress in your household, that doesn't make you weird, that makes you normal, and it's time to do something about it. And while other courses like this are $1,000 or $2,000 or $5,000, to me, that's ridiculous because the people that need them the most can't afford them. And so instead, instead of making this a giant profit center, I decided I was going to price it so low that anybody who wants it can attain it. It's the right thing to do. Go check it out. Go to thetruthaboutmoney.com because that's what it is. It is the new truths about money that you need to know. Go to thetruthaboutmoney.com. Click and roll like... Your biggest fear might be, what if it doesn't work? But I have to remind you, what if it does? Go check it out, thetruthaboutmoney.com. Now, speaking of money, there is nothing better on this planet than contribution, especially once you have some extra money. And Scott Harrison has been one of the leading lights in this world when it comes to creating a charity that not only he cares about, but so many of us care about. He's the founder of Charity Water, and he's also the author of the book, Thirst, that tells his story. His story is amazing. You're going to love it. His story starts with a crazy, strict religious upbringing and a mom who has so much sickness that it totally alters their family's life. And then finally, he runs away from home at 18 years old and becomes this crazy, well-known club promoter in New York, living the drug and drinking and wild lifestyle that he always thought would fulfill him. And when he realized that wasn't fulfilling, he gave it all up and ended up on a mercy hospital ship, traveling all around the world and having his eyes opened to just how fortunate we are in all of these countries and how rough everybody else has it in some of the other countries. And it all added up to him knowing he needed to follow his calling and make a difference with Charity Water. He founded it in 2006. Since then, he's raised over $350 million. That has created clean, safe drinking water for over 8.5 million people in the world. And actually, as we're talking, he said it's almost 10 million people now that have clean, safe drinking water prior that didn't have it prior to Charity Water existing. And he even talks about how he puts his money where his mouth is. So he's not just going around raising money, but he and his wife try and give 20% of their income every year to this cause and to other causes they care about. Matter of fact, you're going to love his story about one of, one of his biggest giving goals that he has not accomplished yet. It's going to inspire you. So you're about to learn. You're about to be inspired. You're about to have breakthroughs. And you are about to feel so dang good by the end of this episode that I cannot wait to get your feedback. And at the end of the episode, we actually do something totally impromptu. I commit on the spot to give away a certain amount of money and he creates a link for me to do it and for you to do it right along with me if you want. Matter of fact, we even give away signed books at the end. So stick this thing out all the way through the end. You're gonna love the stories. You're gonna love the feedback. Here we go. This episode is amazing. Scott, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh man, it's my privilege. Ever since I read the book Thirst, I have been looking forward to this moment. 
Um, I, I knew that you knew Craig and Danette, mutual friends of ours. And I actually sent them a message. I'm like, hey, could you ever connect me to Scott? And, and I know your schedule is like wild. So thanks a lot, Oh, man. no, no. It's an honor to talk to you. Very cool. Well, listen, um, on this show, we start with rapid fire. It's a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something really good that comes up, we'll circle back around, do a deep dive on it. How's that sound? Sounds good. Great. So real easy. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey. And where do you live now? Uh, New York City for the last 25 years. Perfect. Favorite quote? Uh, do not be afraid of work that has no end. Ooh. From uh, an old old rabbinic text. Love that. What's one of your superpowers? Probably storytelling. Yeah. You know what's funny? Somebody actually told me that about you. That That's literally what people say, but you're one of the best storytellers. Uh, I, just, I just love telling stories and I love uh, hearing stories. I love it. What's one of your favorite books outside of Thirst? Uh, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I was reading um, the, the, probably The Four Loves would be a good one. Very cool. What, what's one thing you're challenged by right now? You know, the, the org has been growing uh, a lot and it's required me to be on the road a lot. Uh, 70 flights last year and, and probably the same again this year. And I've got two young kids at home. So trying to, uh, trying to keep that balance and, and the red eyes home, you know, to take them to school. Uh, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely challenging. You know, I came across in a book, by the way, just how much you love your family and how important it is to you. So those are my favorite parts about the books. We definitely share oh, ethos there. No kids yet, but feel that way about my wife. A couple more here. What's something recently that you have done that is generous? Kind of funny asking you that. Oh, you know, I love giving, uh, you know, I love impulsively giving. So we, you know, my wife and I made a, a gift <laughs> way, way bigger than we should be to our own organization uh, when we were um, significantly short on a, on a kind of goal um, of the gala. And uh, it'll take me a few years to pay it off, but uh, it, it, was, it was a pleasure to do. Man, I love it. I love it. And then last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Oh, I'm grateful for, gosh, health, uh, two healthy kids, beautiful wife, and uh, good weather in New York City. Mm. The sun is shining. Finally summer again, or spring, we should say. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. <laughs> All right, so let's get I'm into also grateful for a, uh, a swing that my wife had me install two nights ago in our 1,200-square-foot apartment in New York. She had me drill in the ceiling with a drill she rented from Home Depot. And I thought she was absolutely crazy. And now my kids are swinging in our tiny little apartment and they just can't get enough of it. It was, it might've been her greatest idea of the year. Oh my God. That's the coolest. I love it. I and love I was it. covered in dust and, you know, drilling in the ceiling is no fun. Uh, Cause you're choking on the, oh, the cement and it was awful. But but now I uh, woke up this morning, my kids were on a swing. <laughs> oh my God. You know, that's what I'm looking at. So Lori and I, we don't have kids yet. We're planning on it. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to the most is I'm still a kid at heart. So to do those things, like to have a swing in the house or something that's totally not traditional, but fun and see your kids do that. It's got to feel like it's got to be the best feeling on the planet, isn't it? It's the best. I mean, I would say that is the one word uh, that I really come back to when it comes to my, my parenting style is I just, I do want to be fun. You know, I've taken my four-year-old on 30 airplanes. Uh, we were just in, I had to speak in Montana on Thursday at a, at a leadership thing. And I just took him out with me and we went, uh, you know, we went to Glacier National Park on Friday. We went fishing on Saturday, caught his first fish. Like, I, I want to show him that there is a big world out there and you can have a lot of fun, you know, especially off of devices and, 
and maybe uh, you know not staring at a screen. That's so cool. I, I love that you've got that already in your in in your vision for your parenting. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's a common daydream over here. So I'm not going to make you tell your story. I actually believe that people should go get the book Thirst and read your story because it hooks you. And when you said you're a good storyteller, I mean, that's, I couldn't put the book down. And that's the best feeling on a planet when you find a book and you can't put the book down. So I'm actually going to encourage everyone to go read your story instead of having you tell it. But I do want to give them a really quick summary just so that they can understand some of the background. Sure. And you know, so you had this really strict religious upbringing and yep. add on top of that, your mom was sick with a, a very rare, rare, rare illness. And so that added a lot of complication to you growing up. You kind of uh, ran, I don't want to say ran away from home, but you know, rebelled, so to speak, from that type of upbringing, became a club. Went rogue. Went rogue. Went rogue, yes. Became a club promoter for 10 years, living the wildest, most intoxicated, drug-laden type of life. Is that right? Exactly. You're doing well so far. <laughs> and then you found Mercy Ships, the uh, Mercy Hospital ship. And that's where your life kind of shifted. So can you take us back to there, that transition from wild club promoter to all of a sudden finding Mercy Ships? And what was that like? Yeah. Well, I think you, you kind of nailed it. The, the moving to New York City at 18 was really an act of rebellion against a, a pretty conservative upbringing, only child, mom was an invalid, weird carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. And I just had that, that you know, wake up moment. Now it's my turn. No more taking care of mom. No more playing by the rules. I want to smoke. I want to drink. I want to have sex. I want to, you know, become rich and famous in New York City. And, uh, you know, initially I joined a band, a rock band, uh, thinking that, you know, we'd be opening up for U2 and sold out amphitheaters around the world in no time. And you know, a couple months later, of course, the band broke up. So that, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't last uh, long, that dream. But, you know, I found my way into, the nightclub business. And there was just something so decadent about the idea of, of getting paid to drink alcohol and spell, uh, sell you know $1,000 bottles of champagne and $20 cocktails to the most beautiful, uh, famous people in New York City. And because you were literally getting paid to drink. Is that right? Like you oh, got thousands was, of dollars just oh, to be yeah. seen drinking oh, yeah. Budweiser and I forget the other brand. And- yeah. yeah. The end of our uh, career, my, my business partner and I were getting sponsored just to be seen drinking certain products at our nightclubs. That's wild. I mean, imagine, you know, getting $4,000 to be seen with, you know, a butt on your table and a bottle of Bacardi uh, every month. So yeah, that was, it was intoxicating, but, but really it was a life of sex, drugs, rock and roll, empty relationships, uh, chasing after material things, the watches, the cars, the, the vacation. Uh, and, and, you know, it left me in a really uh, emotionally and spiritually bankrupt place, uh, a morally bankrupt place. You know, I woke up kind of suddenly one day, 10 years later and realized, oh my gosh, I hate my life. I'm the worst person that I know. I, I go to dinner at 10. I go to the club at 12. I go to a disgusting Coke bar at four. I stumble home at noon. You know, when other people are on their lunch break, what have I done? And, you know, I think I just realized there would never be enough. This was an endless pursuit of hedonism, of selfishness. There would never be enough girls, never be enough money, never be enough uh, status. I mean, somebody would always have better and more. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think I realized that I'd, I'd, I'd come so far from my, my roots, from the foundation, uh, from, from the way that I've been brought up. And I, I missed home. You know, I missed some of that virtue. I missed some of that clean living. And uh, I asked myself the question, what would the opposite of a degenerate scumbag life look like? <laughs> and I thought, well, what if I spent one year uh, as a payback, uh, almost as a tithe for the 10 years that I'd wasted. And I went and tried to serve others and see where that would take me. And uh, I, I initially applied to a bunch of humanitarian organizations and no one would take me because they, they didn't know what to do with a nightclub promoter on a, on a serious humanitarian mission. Sure, Probably afraid uh, of your background. This, yeah, afraid of the background. But then this one organization, Mercy Ships, gave me a shot. And uh, the, the irony is I had to actually pay $500 a month for the pleasure of volunteering. <laughs> and I had to go live in post-war Liberia, which was the country you know, with no running water, no sewage, no mail. And I, I became a, a volunteer photojournalist really almost overnight. Uh, kind of a volunteer storyteller. And and I also brought a guest list of about 15,000 emails with me, people that I had gotten drunk over a 10-year period. And I just immediately began to tell a new story, a, a radically different story of these compassionate doctors who, instead of going on vacation to the Caribbean or the Maldives, had instead come to West Africa to operate on people who had no access to medical care, who couldn't afford medical care and they were transforming people's lives. And it was radically different. I mean, I was on a Christian ship with people who didn't smoke and didn't drink and didn't uh, have sex with each other and didn't swear, uh, but they were bringing the very best of themselves, their, their, most, their skills, their compassion to the poorest situations I've ever met in the world. You know, just, yeah. Real quick question about that. Because in that point in the story, when you got on the ship and you realized you went from having sex, drugs, drinking, rock and roll to the polar opposite. Did you think, oh shit, what did I do? Or was it a relief and a load off your shoulders? It was a relief. You know, in some ways, I think I felt it impossible to escape. You know, it would have been really hard to go clean in New York, surrounded by people who were doing drugs and drinking and smoking every night. So I think I was so fortunate that my, uh, my context shifted so dramatically and I just embraced it. I loved it. I mean, it felt, it felt right. It felt like the thing that had been missing for 10 years. And I think there's something, there's something different, maybe opting back into faith or, or morality um, as an adult, you know, as, a, as, as someone you know, who's 28, rather than maybe the 15-year-old kid where it's, it's force-fed to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I had you know, I'd effectively lived out the prodigal son parable. You know, yeah. I gave everybody the middle finger, went far from home, you know, uh, slept with the proverbial prostitutes and, and then, you know, woke up in the pig pen and said, my life sucks. <laughs> I want to go home. You know, why did I ever leave home? That moment. But, I, but in some ways I had to go through that experience, I think. Yeah, for sure. So that moment when you took this 15,000 person email list, that was nothing but a bunch of party people. And you started sending these graphic images of what you were seeing overseas. I it was in Liberia. In Liberia. Yeah, what I mean, what kind of response did you get? And were you afraid to send these? I wasn't afraid to send them. I mean, I think it was probably a, I was probably leaning into the shock factor a little bit. I mean, there's something shocking about selling a bottle of Vogue Clicquot for $1,000, right? <laughs> that only costs $50. So. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I think um, I was just so moved by the stories of the people that we were meeting, uh, people with leprosy, people with ma- massive facial tumors, people who'd gone blind for want of a $200 cataract surgery. Uh, people, you know, 60-year-old women who had cleft lips uh, from birth and they'd lived 60 years with food and water spilling out of their mouth because they never had access to a $250 surgery that would cost, you know, the last 20 minutes. Oh. So I was, I was just all in and I'm, I'm sending these photos, I'm writing these stories in, in the most immediate and raw way that I could. And I'm blasting that list of 15,000 people. And, you know, of course, there were some unsubscribes at first. Uh, some people uh, that might have gotten invited to the Prada party four weeks earlier, you know, then getting <laughs> pictures of leprosy, right? It was a little <laughs> jarring. But what I found was, was most people were intrigued. Uh, they wanted to know more. They wanted to know how they could help, how they could give money, how they could support these doctors and patients and, and how they might be able to volunteer. And I remember those emails triggered a lot of, Responses like, I hate my job. You know, I'm sitting here at, Ch- at Chanel, you know, selling lipstick or, you know, or perfume or, and, and wondering like, what is it all about? And, and here are these doctors, they're giving of themselves, of their talents, and they're transforming people's lives. They're literally saving lives. You know, I want a piece of that. I want a piece of that story. So I think I learned that the same, that maybe the, the skill was storytelling and or promoting, you could argue. So for 10 years, I'd promoted the idea that if you got past our velvet rope, if you got into the right clubs with the right people, then your life had meaning. And I think just on a dime in a, in a very different context and, and with, a, you know, with a significant heart change, I started promoting the opposite of that, that if you care about others, if you're giving of yourselves, of your money and your time, uh, you can transform people's lives. You can end needless suffering. And, and who doesn't want to be a part of that? And it turned out that a lot of people did want to be a part. Of did you know that? So in your party years, when you were living a wild, but let's say empty-ish life, did you have some kind of gut feeling or some kind of calling that this was not fulfilling? Or were you totally happy during those years? And now you're totally happy during these years? You know, I think at, at first the rebellion was fun. I mean, you know, it was fun to sleep around. It was fun to go out and party. It was fun to, you know, to party for three days in Milan during Fashion Week or during Paris. It was fun to date girls on the cover of fashion magazines. I mean, it was it was fun to try all the things. I'd say at the midpoint, maybe year five, uh, the fun started to end, and by year ten, uh, I had. You know, it was, it was closer to despair. <laughs> Having lived both lives, do you think that we need a form of contribution in order to really be happy in the long run? Oh, I absolutely do. I mean, I think wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you've got to be asking yourself how you can use uh, the money you've been blessed with, the the just the position or the status in life, uh, your 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 gifts. How can they serve people both in your local community? And I believe also in the global community. Uh, I mean, we we have so much. You know, I've I've never had to drink dirty water in my life, but yet one out of every ten people alive on the planet right now is drinking bad water, uh, simply because of the conditions they were born into. And I didn't get to choose to be born in a middle class family in Philadelphia any more than you know my friends uh, chose to be born in rural Ethiopia or rural Malawi. You know, during the book when when I was reading about what you're talking about right now, it really made it real for me just how 
I guess for lack of a better term, born on third base. All of us are. I'm, I'm guessing almost everybody listening to this right now was born on third base, so to speak, compared to what I would call these forgotten people or the people that we never spend the time to notice in other parts of the world. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I'd say we're stealing home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I like that analogy. I think that's really true. I mean, you know, I've now traveled to sixty-nine different countries, and I've seen a lot since starting Charity Water twelve years ago. And you know, just Ethiopia is one country I've been to more than thirty different times. And you know, it, it's just it's amazing how you can fly, you know, half a day and shift context so dramatically. You know, in, in some of the villages that I write about in the book. I mean, these are villages where women and girls are walking eight hours a day. Uh, their greatest daily fears are not, you know, being late for work or, I don't know, screwing up in a presentation, you know, in front of uh, your bosses or the exec team. It's being attacked by hyenas uh, or crocodiles at the water hole. It's being raped as they walk through the jungle uh, by a stranger from another village. It's it's uh, having to give birth far away from home at this water source, you know, with with cows and animals around. Um, it's just it's it's really hard to describe. You know, that was I was in um, Niger, West Africa, a while back with this woman named Aisa Maru, and you know, I remember talking with her uh, through a translator, and you know, in the course of the conversation, she tells me that she has buried eight of her children. So she's watched eight children die and she remembers their names. So she's telling me their names and how old every one of her children was when she died, uh, when they died and, and she buried them. And then she shows me the water that she was giving her kids. And she's standing next to this open, horrible, uh, kind of dirty, you know, uh, just a pit in the ground and, and brown viscous water. I mean, you know, think of Yoohoo chocolate milk. Oh my God. Um, except it's not chocolate milk. Oh. And, and that's just all she, she'd ever known, uh, Chris. You know, she was born into the Sahel Desert of Niger and that's, that's the water. Uh, and that's her children were born in that same circumstance. Now, the irony is she was living on top of a massive aquifer. So it was clean water 200 feet beneath her village. Right below her feet. So imagine, imagine taking an elevator, you know, 20 floors underground and finding all of the water that could have saved those children's lives and, and you know, countless more in that village. What she didn't have was about $12,000 uh, to drill the well to access that. Oh, um, just 12 so, grand. I mean, it sounds like such a small amount to you I and mean, I. I mean, dude, it's a, it's a watch for some people that I know and they've got 10 of them, you know? Oh, Okay, so let's talk. Let me ask you this question. You're the perfect guy to ask. When people say, and they don't even mean it maliciously, but when they say, why should I give my money to one of these charities that is trying to solve problems way overseas when I have so many problems at home? Form some thoughts around that for yeah. us. Yeah. Typically, those people aren't doing anything at home. Yeah. You know, I, I find that the, the objectors like that. You know, every once in a while, I'll come off of stage and someone will say, you know, you're talking about 660 million people, but what about, you know, the people living in Appalachia that don't have clean water? Or what about this, this Indian tribe we heard about in a reservation? I'm like, please go help them. Here is a card of an organization working domestically, right? America officially has 100% water coverage. Sure, we know that there's a few pockets of people, but please go and help them. And, you know, I think about 0% of the people actually do. Uh, just from the vibe that I get, you know, it's normally the people that are, 
that are just going to throw rocks at, at no matter what you're doing. You know, the, the no good deed goes unpunished. So, you know, our focus for 12 years has been very specific. The, you know, I, I use the word forgotten. Um, the 663 million people living without clean water, 80% of them living in the remote rural areas. So that's where we focus, not the cities and towns. And we've just developed a deep expertise now in more than a decade of working in 27 different countries and often some hostile operating environments to to reach those people. So I, I think I'm a big believer in you know, yes to many things. I mean, I think, yes, you should be working in your lo local community, whether that's a soup kitchen, whether that's working with a homeless shelter. Yes, we should be good neighbors here in the places that we live, in the places that we work. I also think we have an amazing opportunity to be global neighbors, to be filled with empathy and compassion for the intense suffering of people living around the world and to outstretch our hands across oceans and say, wow, we can, we can also be a good global neighbor. We can be a global citizen. We can use our resources to end suffering. You know, what a lot of people find is the money goes 20 times farther. Mm. You know, you can help 20 to 50 people often uh, overseas for, for every one person you might be able to, to help here. And I think it's been nice working on a basic need. I mean, nobody... Nobody tells me to stop helping people get clean water at the end of the day. I mean, nobody begrudge, you don't begrudge your enemy clean water. I mean, it's just such a basic, inarguable good. It's a basic human need yeah. for flourishing. It's not political. It's not religious. Uh, I mean, it's, it, that's been one of the most exciting things working on charity water for so long is watching it bring together such diverse groups of people who might fight about everything else. Yeah. I mean, they might fight about social issues and political issues, but they can agree to agree on clean water. That's incredible. So you guys have raised $350 million. I mean, that's provided what, eight and a half million people with clean water that wouldn't have it otherwise? Yeah, now just shy of 400 and we're breaking through 10 million people. Man, so. congratulations. That's so cool. So I want, I want to bring up one more story to really make this real for everybody and, and just how this is something that needs to be noticed and people are suffering. In the book, uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a couple months since I read it, there was a story of a young girl that took her own life because she spilled her pot of water where she would have to walk miles to get and miles back. Is that right? Yeah, it's a tough story. Um, so I was in Ethiopia. Oh, this is probably six or seven trips ago. And I was staying in a crappy $5 a night hotel room with, with some, uh, some, some donors actually that had come with us. And the hotel owner recognized me and sits down and says, oh, you're the charity water guy. Hey, thanks for all the work you've been doing in our region. Uh, I'm from a remote area. Let me tell you the story. And he sits down and he says, there was this girl lived in my village. Her name was Leta Kiros and she used to walk eight hours a day, right? And you, you think often that this is hyperbole until you actually do the eight hour walk. Wow. Uh, which, which, you know, we've done now in many of these places. Um, and actually it's more than eight hours for you because you're so tired walking in heat and altitude. But he says, oh, she's walking eight hours a day and, and she had a clay pot that she would the clay pot already had some weight and then she would fill it up with water. So it was very heavy. He said, one day she walks back into uh, the village and before she reaches her house, she trips on a stone, he thinks, and she slips and falls and she watches her clay pot smash and what she watches all the water that she's just spent eight hours getting uh, spill out into the dusty ground. And he says, well, do you know what she did? 
She said she took a rope and she tied it around her rope. She climbed a tree and she hung herself in my village. And I remember, yeah, that's how we felt. You know, and he just let it sit there. And he said, the work you're doing is really important. And he walked back into the kitchen. (laughs) That's it. Like mic drop. And like kind of a in. kind of a kind of a mic drop. Like he knew what he was doing. Wow. And what what were you, you know, feeling in that moment? Uh, wanting to think that it was uh, it wasn't true, yeah. right? You know that this is a story you tell a foreign donor to make us feel great about our our work. And um, actually, you know, I I it gnawed on me, and then I I wanted to know whether it was true, and I sent our local partners out to visit this man's village. I sent him back to the hotel. They got the name of the village. They went out to the village, and I got an email a couple months later saying, "Hey, we 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 went, and and this is true." And her name was Letakira Sailu, and and then I really wanted to uh, I wanted to kind of experience it, and I I needed to reconnect. It was at a time when I needed to reconnect with our work in a more visceral way, and. I asked my wife if I could just live in this village completely off the grid for about a week. And, you know, I would take out a satellite phone for emergency, but, you know, there's no, no cell phone service or anything like that. And, uh, and I did. And I, and I spent a week walking in her footsteps, getting to know her mom and, uh, you know, the, the priest that gave her funeral, uh, seeing where she got her water, actually seeing and photographing the tree where she took her life. And one of the crazy things about her story that I actually didn't know going into it was just how young she was. She was 13 when she killed herself. So this was a girl. You know, this was not a, a, an older woman. Um, this was a, a teenager. And you know, the thought of, I mean, standing in front of that tree and the thought of you know, a noose hanging around a child's neck who simply had just slipped and fallen like my kids have done you know, 100 times. Yeah. But this fall came at the cost of this valuable asset the clay pot being destroyed and the valuable asset water uh, uh, not being able to be brought back to the family. And her best friend said, I think she just killed herself because she was ashamed. You know, she had let her family down. Okay. Uh, her carelessness meant they would go without water that evening. So, you know, I remember just being all fired up and coming back just with a renewed sense of urgency, the injustice of, of this, the, you know, the fact that we could actually do something about it. Um, just, just maybe want to work even harder and and fight to make sure thirteen year old girls aren't stringing themselves from trees because they they spilled their water. My God, what you are doing is so freaking important. And that story, thanks for sharing, because it makes it so real for all of us. So before I ask you a couple of questions, I'm really curious about about the book and and the spring, which is your new initiative and all that. Let's kind of bring this up on a a more positive story or more positive note. What is one of the most positive moments of generosity that stood out to you in? all of your experiences so far doing this. Yeah, you know, the, the, the nice contrast of that story is this, this amazing woman we met in, in Northern Uganda called Helen Appio. And uh, so water is powerful, right? You know, if, if people listening actually start to just take a moment reflecting on how they use water. Uh, I mean, it's, it's such a part of our life. We wake up, we drink, we take showers, we brush our teeth. We, you know, you, I use water for my coffee this morning. Uh, we're drinking throughout the day, right? You know, you go to the gym, there's water everywhere. Uh, people swim. I mean, uh, water to wash our cars and our, our, our golf courses, our pools, right? It's just such a part of our lives. But, you know, when the, the story of Helen, I think is just, it's amazing because we we normally hit the obvious. We know water means health. We know water improves education. We know water gives time back to women and girls. But I met this woman, Helen, in northern Uganda. 
And we said, now that you have clean water in your village, tell us how your life is different. And she says, well, I used to have very little water because I was walking a far distance and I would make this decision every day. What do I do with not enough water? And she said, I had a husband, I had children. And what Ugandan women do, she said, is we put our families first. So she said, I would always use the water for my husband to wash his clothes and make sure his body was clean. I would keep my kids' bodies clean. I would wash their school uniforms. I would use the water for my family to drink. I would, uh, I would cook for them. I would garden. She said, I never use the water for myself. And she said, now that there's clean water in my village near my home, I can take all the water that I want. And she said, for the first time in my life, she says, I am beautiful. Mm. And we said, Hello, what do you mean? Of course you're beautiful. You're a radiant, beautiful Ugandan woman. She says, no, I don't think you understand. She says, now I finally have enough water to wash my face and my body and my clothes. And she said, I I am beautiful. And she says, I remember she says, I am looking so smart. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we, we, we thought just how profound. I mean, you know, the thing that so many of us take for granted on a daily basis because we were born into privilege, uh, just improving the quantity for a woman in a very different context could restore dignity to her, could make her feel beautiful. And I just thought that was, that really, uh, that, that fired us up. You know, we want to help more women and girls feel beautiful uh, by, by making sure they all have clean water. Oh man, I love that story. Thanks for sharing. So let's shift gears a little bit. Why'd you write the book, Thirst? You know, people for years had been suggesting, I, I think when you, you know, when you live some sort of radical life change story, uh, people said, oh, this sounds like a book. This sounds like a movie. You should, you should write it down. And, and I think for so many years, I just felt like I was living the story. I mean, Charity Water was just a fight every year. I mean, who, knows, who, who knew if we'd even be around in a couple of years in those early days? Um, I think a combination of the organization turning 10 you know, having raised a quarter of a billion dollars, me turning 40 at the same time, having a couple kids, uh, just felt like a, a moment to pause and reflect and see if some of the things that I and we had learned along the way could be useful to others. And I also hope, you know, there's, a, there's an intentional double entendre with the word. Um, for years, I was looking for meaning and purpose. Um, like I, I know that other people, many are looking for, um, and then kind of the literal thirst of a tenth of the planet um, that I would hope this this book could actually end some of that thirst by compelling people to become engaged in this issue. So, you know, from a personal standpoint, I guess I wanted to encourage people who might feel trapped by their past or or shame and guilt around their past and feel that the the mistakes of their past are keeping them from a, a more vibrant future. Um, you know, unless you've killed someone as you read this book, it'll be hard, you'd be hard pressed to find more of a degenerate than I was. Uh, but yet, you know, at 28, I was really able to start life over. Uh, it required some obedience uh, in me and kind of walking away from the gambling and the smoking and the drinking and the drugs and, and all of that, uh, you know, and all the vice really. Um, but you know, my life is completely unrecognizable now than it was even 15 years ago where you might have met me, you know, 3 a.m., you know, high on cocaine in a nightclub, you know, snarling at you. It's amazing because that's not a very long amount of time if you really think about it. Yeah. That's incredible. Well done. Man. So so I really, you know, wanted, to, wanted the book to encourage other people and, and to kind of share some of the 
the purpose that I've found through a life of service, through asking myself, how can I use my time and my talents to benefit others? Um, this is great life, a uh, great line I came across recently, um, Teresa of Avila. And she said, you know, the first half of your life, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're after yourself and you're building your identity. And she said, if you're doing the second half of your life right, you're just asking, how can I be useful to others? Mm. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people who, you know, maybe intuitively know that that's the question they should be asking, but but maybe haven't yet. And, you know, I found a real freedom and a real joy in serving, you know, moving from selfishness and what I could accumulate or, or the things that I could buy or own uh, or possess to, you know, trying to, trying to figure out how to give it all away. Oh, man. And the best part of the book is that all proceeds go to charity. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, well, you know, initially the book was going to be my kids' college fund, but <laughs> like like many things, you know, my wife and I just sat down and said, "Oh, this should just all go to the organization. Let's just keep it, let's keep it clean, let's keep it pure." Um, so I gave away the whole advance and all the all the money that would come in to to me as the author, you know, goes straight to Charity Water um, in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so just by by getting a copy of Thirst, technically people are also helping people get clean water. I love that. Good for you. So here's what I want to ask you about is. People don't realize just how difficult it is to build a sustainable foundation. Um, you know, we'd like to think we live in a world where everyone's like, oh, yeah, no problem. What an honorable thing. Here's some money. But to get reoccurring revenue is probably one of the biggest challenges in building a foundation. Is that right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, and that was the big learning. You know, I write about that at, at uh, year 10. I mean, if there are any entrepreneurs listening, um, you know, we had a couple moments in the org where we realized, hey, what got us here will not get us to that next level of, of achieving the mission. Um, and really what, you know, what happened at, at 10 years in, we'd raised uh, almost, you know, $65 million from people donating their birthdays to Charity Water. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was a pretty good idea. You know, we stumbled upon this 11 years ago. We said, look, people have enough gifts. We don't need ties or wallets or handbags or gift cards from you know, Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, for crying out loud, people don't even have clean water. So what if we could start this movement of birthdays where we would skip the gifts, we would skip the parties, and we would turn our birthdays into these radical giving moments. And we would involve all our friends and all of our family. And I thought the sticky kind of marketing idea would be uh, people would ask for their age in dollar donations. So a seven-year-old would ask for $7 donations and an 81-year-old would ask for $81 and a 37-year-old would ask for $37. And this movement just began to uh, explode. I mean, uh, through Hollywood, Will, Will and Jada Smith gave up their birthdays, through sports, through technology, you know, the founders of Twitter and Spotify and WordPress and all these amazing companies donating their birthdays. Um, and that, that led a lot of the growth. But what we realized was people only did one birthday for Charity Water. Yeah. They had a great experience. It worked. They raised money. They actually went on to do their birthday for other organizations. You know, they would do future birthdays. But you know, for us, we just had to keep finding new people every year. And I was really fortunate to be in Ethiopia with uh, Daniel Ek, who's the founder of Spotify, and you know, just started learning about the Spotify business. And and it's very different, right? They acquire a customer, and then they exchange value, right? In this case, music, and they hope to keep that customer for a hundred years you know, for, for life. And so that really began a shift where we wondered, could we build Spotify or Netflix for clean water? Could we create a subscription program where we, the subscriber, would, would get no benefit, no music, no cloud storage, 
no movies, but 100% of, of the benefit every month would be passed on to the poorest people in the world, people who needed clean water. And, uh, and we would promise that 100% of all donations, whether it was $10 a month or $30 a month or $100 a month, all of that would go directly to help people. And then we would share the stories of impact. We would show the projects being funded through these spring donations. So again, we weren't sure whether it was going to work like many things. And we launched it uh, with this 20-minute video that people can find online. Again, people said, you can't do a 20-minute web video. We're like, <laughs> we're like, well, we need at least that long to tell our story. And uh, you know, the video wound up getting over 20 million views and traveling yes. around the world. And the spring started growing. And you know, now uh, we, have, we have this amazing community of people showing up month in, month out for, for whatever they can give. Uh, that now extends to over 110 countries. Um, if people actually want to check out the video, because it's, it, I'm really proud of it. It's just charitywater.org/spring. Uh, but but we've seen you know amazing stories. Someone just wrote us this week and said they canceled Netflix because they were on a budget, and they're now giving that money to Charity Water. Now I bet most people listening are not going to cancel Netflix, but you know we thought a lot of people could do both. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people. If people are being honest, they've got some money they could spare every single month. Yeah, and that's really what we're trying to do is build this loyal community of people who will show up not just once, you know, in that, oh, that moment of emotion and go drop $100 on our website, but actually build this organization with us, uh, kind of join us for the movement um, and see the 600 million people come down to 500 million and 400 million. And hopefully all one day we can all celebrate as this generous, compassionate global community, this day on earth that we have all made possible, that everybody has clean water and we can look back and, and know that our, our kids and our grandkids you know, will know that we have had a small part in, in ending this, uh, in, in providing a basic need. So yeah, that's certainly an open invitation. People could just go to charitywater.org slash the spring and, uh, and learn more about the program. And you, know, you can sign up in 30 seconds and Again, 100% of the money goes. There's no overhead. Uh, every single penny goes directly to, to the field to help people get clean water. I love that. Okay, so we're going to make sure that we put a link to charity.org forward slash the spring in the show notes. But um, I'll put my money where my mouth is. So I'll go do a $500 a month donation when we hang up here. And I'll post, oh my on, gosh. I'll post on Instagram so that you guys can hold me accountable. But it's, that's how important you know, um, it is to have that reoccurring revenue when you're a foundation, when, when you're really trying to change the world, because you need to know what kind of money you can bank on. You've got big projects going on. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we now have about 1,600 people that work on charity water projects around the world. And those are locals uh, across 22 countries. And being able to tell them, hey, we're, we're going to be able to fund 50 projects this year, but we know we're back for at least 50 next year. And actually, it's going to be 70 because this community is growing. Not, hey, we're going to do 50 this year. And we have no idea whether you're going to have to lay off your team or, right? That that predictability is is so so helpful. And you know, it's it's we found it's a great way too for for parents to share this issue with their kids. We've been able to do a lot of great content for families, and uh, you know, it's been cool getting getting emails from parents who are like, "I watched eight videos with my kids," and you know, we we just had a six year old in the office who brought eight dollars and fifteen cents of her allowance. Oh, six years cutest. old, right? Six years old, or, you know, at six, you're, you're supposed to want to go down to the local toy store yeah. and, and buy things. But she was so moved by the fact that other kids didn't have clean water that she said, uh, you know, I want to I wanna do that. 
Um, tell you what, I have an idea, Chris. Why don't we do this? Why don't we set up um, a link just for your community? Maybe charitywater.org slash for the love of money. That you could put in the great. show notes. Yes. And then um, I'll have you wait to do that. You can make your donation there. And okay. then people can join you there and we can actually track the impact just of of your generous community over time. And you can call me up in a year and I can say, well, you know, 42 people joined and this is how many people have clean water because of that. That is awesome. So I'll, totally have our, I'll have our engineering team do that and you can put that in the show notes. But let's just say charitywater.org slash for the love of money. And um, it'd just be a nice place where people can go and, and join us if they're moved. Scott, that is awesome. We will totally back that. That's exciting. I love the idea of tracking things. So I will put that link in the show notes instead. And then I'll wait to make my donation until I, I get that in the email. All right. So two more questions. But before I ask you those two questions, where's the best place for us to follow you and what you are up to? And where's the best place? Well, I was going to ask to donate, but now it's going to be for or, uh, charitywater.org forward slash for the love of money. You got it. Um, yeah, I'm just my name, Scott Harrison on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is uh, is kids these days uh, and some <laughs> you know, some culture at Charity Water. Although when I get on the field, you know, I'm posting a lot. Um, and then Charity Water is just at Charity Water everywhere you'd, you'd expect us to be. Oh, I love it. Okay, two questions. First yeah. one, we talk a lot about money on the show. And our tagline is when good people make good money, they do great things. So how did Scott Harrison, the young wild club promoter, view money versus Scott Harrison, the charity water founder and family man these days? Oh, back then, money was to be abused. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if I was making two hundred a year, I was spending two hundred and fifty. Oh my god, <laughs> so, I had I had that phase too. You know, um, you know. Now look, I mean. I I am so passionate about giving. You know, I, I mean, my wife and I try and give at least twenty percent of our income every year to um, to charity water and other causes that we support. You know, I think I've got to be. You know, I certainly can't ask you or 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 anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do in a in a radical way. So, you know, I don't have any ambitions of the house in the Hamptons or you know any of that. You know, we drive a Kia. Uh, we live in a small apartment. Um, my main ambition around money is someone wrote me a million dollar check and it transformed the organization eleven years ago. Wow. It was too big of a gift for us. You know, we we didn't deserve it at the time. And, you know, that was almost four hundred million dollars ago. Mm-hmm. I would love someday to write a million dollar check to a a small charity um, at that kind of room, right moment and pay it forward. You could argue I've let, you know, almost four hundred million dollars kind of Float through my hands, to others. <laughs> but it'd be cool to do it personally. It'd be cool to you know to be able to give a huge amount of money and and impact the trajectory. So um, you know I probably won't do that in in a in a nonprofit uh, role, but you know you never know. Man, that's really cool. And I and I and I don't play the lottery either. So, <laughs> but I I think I just think look here here's my thing around money. I think the more that you give, the more you give. Yeah. So I think the more people get in that habit of saying yes, of giving, the more excited they are. Uh, it, it's kind of a virtuous cycle. So the more you say no, the more you're going to keep saying no. Yeah. Um, so I just, I'm always encouraging people, you know, you could say yes to your local community. You could say yes to water domestically. If you find a great org, you could say yes internationally. You could say yes to education. I know you've done amazing work with Pencils of Promise and have been out in the field with them. Yep. You could say yes to a bunch of different things. And I, I don't think people at the end of their life say, oh, wow, I wish I gave away less money. I don't, I don't no. know that anyone has ever said that. No, never. Right? I've never heard you know, it. 
at the end of the life, you know, a lot of people are figuring out how to, you know, uh, not ruin their kids if they made a lot of money, or you know, where to give it. And 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 in, in a way, you could argue they've deprived themselves the joy of seeing that money being spent as they were making it. You know, I've mm. I've 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 been able to kind of coach a bunch of entrepreneurs who had the philosophy that they would go make a billion dollars or hundred million or ten million or whatever their number was, and then give it all away at the end. I'm like, why did you just start giving away now as you're making it yeah. so that you can see your money at work? You can also provide thought capital uh, and, and leadership advice maybe to some of the organizations that you're working with. You can volunteer, you can, you can help out. I mean, why, why deprive yourself of 30 years where you could potentially see your money at work in the world doing good? Well, it's true because if you're not giving a dollar out of 100 when that's all you have, you're not going to give 10,000 out of a million. Right, you got to develop that muscle early. Absolutely. All right. Very last question, then we'll uh, let you go on respect to time. Ask everybody this question, and you clearly have been a smashing success in what you wanted to do, making great impact in the world. So, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their own pursuit of success. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, a certain element of boldness uh, <laughs> has has made up uh, our success for sure. I mean, I'm not afraid to ask, and I've heard a lot of no's. Um, I think we're drawn to to vision. I think we're drawn to passion as people. It's interesting. I've heard the phrase a lot in fundraising: "People give to people, even more so than causes." So, yeah, I think you've got to be out there and say, "This is this is what I'm doing. This is my vision. This is what I'm building. This is the good." That I hope it will do in the world, and it certainly doesn't need to be a nonprofit. It could be, you know, starting a company that's going to employ people and treat them with dignity and provide for them and their families, and and you know, create a beautiful product that serves people or a service. So yeah, I, I think it's a, a key component to success, and uh, you know, in the same way that you know, if you walk into a room and someone greets you without making eye contact and looks down at their feet, you know, that doesn't feel as great as if somebody says, welcome, you know, and looks you in the eyes and, and gives you a hug. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that boldness uh, is, is, a, is a key factor to, to many successful entrepreneurs. Man, I love it. Just be it social or, or not. Yeah, totally agree. Scott, I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't thank you enough for your work in the world. I can't thank you enough for your inspiration. Um, thank you for the brand new link. Everybody who is listening, please go to charitywater.org forward slash for the love of money and donate through there. Matter of fact, everybody who donates and sends me a DM on Instagram at Chris W. Harder, I will send you a book, uh, the book Thirst for free. So I don't care if there's a oh, thousand man, of you, so nice. it doesn't wow. matter. Everyone who donates, I don't care what you donate, donate what you can, feel no pressure. But um, everyone who donates and then sends me a DM that you did with proof on Instagram, um, I will send you guys one of Scott's books. Sound good? Tell you what, I'm going to one-up it then and I'll make sure I sign it. So ah, you and I can, that's you and awesome. I can figure out how we ship them out of here and, and I'll sign all the books if, oh, if people join the spring. That is awesome. I love it. All right, Scott, I can't thank you enough, my friend. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to connect soon outside of uh, technology here. Hey, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. You bet. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.